Welcome to Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome into Soccer Morning, live from Northern Virginia, where it is snowing again. Good God. Can we, can I, can I just not have snow for like a week? That would be lovely. And yet here is winter, and this is what winter is doing to us. Winter is uh, bringing us a very interesting Premier League title race. We're going to get into that today. We're going to hit the news here in a moment and consider the results from the weekend as they impact the Premier League table. But let me tell you right now that Andrew Mangan from Arsblog will join us on today's program. Very excited to talk to Andrew. Always a good conversation about Arsenal with Andrew. So stick around. After that, of course, we'll have open phone lines for you on a Monday. Lots to talk about in the world of the Premier League in the world of MLS, a couple of very high-profile moves, including one I just remembered. I did not get into the uh, to the news here, but I will mention, and uh, that's the uh, trade of Harry Ship from the Chicago Fire to the Montreal Impact, and a surprise move, uh, certainly for Chicago Fire fans, who I saw reacting uh, pretty uh, pretty angrily on Twitter. Whether whether this will play out well for that team or not remains to be seen. Certainly, a new um, a new locale for Harry Ship may do him uh, may do him wonders with his um, with his talent uh, and certainly um, uh, playing with Didier Drogba can't hurt. All right, let's do the news again. Lining this up for Andrew Mangan coming up right after uh, right after we get through the headlines. Premier League results: Arsenal, the aforementioned Arsenal, beating Leicester two one at the Emirates. Danny Welbeck. Coming on to score the late winner for the Gunners. Uh, this puts Arsenal now two points back of Leicester City in the uh, Premier League table. Spurs also two points back of Leicester City as they beat City, uh, Manchester City rather, excuse me, one to two at the Etihad. Christian Eriksen scoring an 83rd minute winner for Tottenham as they again uh, stay two points back of Leicester City uh, uh, via their win. Leicester City's loss to Arsenal. Liverpool thrashing Aston Villa 6-0 or 0-6 at Villa Park. Chelsea 5-1 over Newcastle. Manchester United falling to Sunderland at the Stadium of Light 2-1 on Saturday. So again, Leicester City on top. Two-point advantage over Spurs and Arsenal. City falling six points back. Newcastle, Sunderland, and Villa uh, currently op- occupy the uh, relegation spots in the Premier League. Uh, obviously, it's not going well for Aston Villa. Uh, Sunderland with a win, but uh, they've got some work to do to climb out of the relegation zone. Reports say that Seattle Sounders forward Obafemi Martins is set to join Shanghai Shenhua of the Chinese Super League. He'd be the latest name to move to the Chinese Super League. Obviously, you know about all of that cash that is being splashed. The Sounders have confirmed interest uh, but deny that a deal is done. Martins is currently not with the team at their training camp in California. Garth Lagerway saying that they hope to know something by the end of the week. In the meantime, uh, Seattle Sounders fans are trying to get used to the idea of life post Obafemi Martins. Big, uh, big opportunity perhaps for Jordan Morris. Certainly, uh, may change, may result in a formation change for Seattle. They had been talking about a 4-3-3. Uh, maybe they go now to a 4-4-2. With Nelson Valdez uh, starting alongside Clint Dempsey, Orlando City has agreed to trade undisclosed amount of allocation money to DC United for the discovery rights to AC Milan midfielder Antonio Nocerino. United previously accused Orlando of tampering with their own efforts to sign Nocerino. Uh, Nocerino will join former Milan teammate, teammate, excuse me, Kaká in Florida. Again, this is one of those quirks of the MLS rule uh, rule book that say. United has first crack because they put him on a list and Orlando comes in and he offers him more money and it kind of throws off all of the 
all of the um, negotiations there. On Saturday, the U.S. Women's National Team secured a spot in the quarterfinals of the CONCACAF Olympic Qualifying Tournament after a controversial penalty call against Mexico helped them to a one nothing win. Carly Lloyd's initial penalty was saved, but the Women's World Player of the Year slotted home the rebound to give the Americans the lead that they held on to. The U.S. plays Puerto Rico today in their final group stage match. Puerto Rico comes off a 9 nothing loss to Costa Rica. So should be easy picking for the United States. But again, controversial penalty did not play over, uh, did not play overly well in that game against Mexico. Mexico made it very difficult for the United States. Um, is, did the Mexicans get concacaffed? You be the judge. Uh, certainly, um, it does seem as though the bigger team, the, um, the better team got the good, got the call, the benefit of the doubt in the call in that particular instance. If that was a penalty, it's really hard to make out how much contact was actually made with the ball. Barcelona wows world football in a 6-1 win over Celta Vigo. Messi scores on a free kick to open things up. Then Luis Suarez gets a hat trick, including the hat trick finisher on a pass from Messi on a penalty kick. By the way, that would have been Lionel Messi's 300th goal for Barcelona had he put it home himself. As it was, he made the pass. Suarez finished it and got a hat trick. Ivan Rakitic and Neymar finished out the scoring. For uh, the Spanish Giants, Barcelona is now unbeaten in 30 straight matches. They stay three points up on Atleti with a game in hand in Spain. This is um, one of those situations now where people are talking about this being the greatest team of all time. Um, that's obviously a difficult thing to judge in a subjective era versus era type of situation, but damn it, are they not uh, amazing right now? Uh, that triumvirate at the top, uh, the obvious uh, play of Busquets these days. This is a team that seems unstoppable. And if they don't win a European championship, if they do not take home the Champions League title this year, people will be absolutely shocked. In fact, I, I imagine that the odds on Barcelona winning uh, the UEFA Champions League title are very short at the moment because who's betting against them to do it? All right, here we go. Let's line this up. Our friend Andrew Mangan from Arsblog will join us to talk about Arsenal. Could they possibly be Premier League champions in 2015, 2016? They are two points back. They get that massive win over leaders Leicester City yesterday. Welbeck with the finisher. Let's go diving into some Arsenal here. Premier League, Andrew Mangan from Arsblog. Don't go anywhere. Soccer morning. Backheel.com. Welcome to Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. All right, here we go. Soccer Morning on a Monday. It is President's Day over here. I'm not sure Andrew Mangan is celebrating President's Day, but he does join us uh, via Skype uh, from Arst Blog, of course. Andrew, how are you? I'm well, thanks. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, think of my favorite president, and uh, you know, I, I don't really have one. <laughs> is that is that something you've ever thought about in your life? <laughs> I can't imagine. No, not really. Uh, I, I like I, Jimmy Carter had good peanuts, if I remember correctly, uh, they, but that could be just um, <laughs> could be just me. Yeah, Jimmy Carter, famous for being a peanut farmer. There you go. That's that's pretty good knowledge. 
Uh, Andrew joins us, obviously, to talk about Arsenal, and, and, and we have to talk about uh, yesterday's big victory over Leicester City, uh, 2-1. Danny Welbeck coming off the bench. What, uh, what stands out? What's the first thing that comes to mind for Gunners fans in light of that victory, Andrew? Well, I mean, I think just the circumstances of, of, of the victory itself, you know, it's been a long, long time since we scored a late winner like that in a game of that importance. And there was obviously a, a tension, a nervous tension, excitement in the stadium yesterday. Um, and when they went down to 10 men, Arsenal equalized with 20 minutes to go, more or less, you kind of felt, okay, you know, that they've got enough here to get a goal, but, four or five minutes into injury time for, for a guy who's been out of the game for 10 months uh, with a knee injury to come back and score like that um, on his first game back. Fairy tale kind of stuff. And the reaction to it was, was absolutely sensational. It was uh, spine tingling stuff, I have to say. So I think on the one hand, people are obviously delighted on a personal level for Danny Welbeck, but B, just the, the significance of the victory can't be overstated, I don't think. No, sure. You, if you're, if you're going to reel in Leicester City, you've got to, Beat Leicester City when they come to the Emirates. Uh, is this is this the kind of victory that's going to help this club not shed their reputation, Andrew? Because who cares if what we think of them? It's about what they think in that dressing room. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, I think had Arsenal not won that game yesterday, there would perhaps be more doubts among the the players. You know, I think we people who who live and breathe the game and write about it and broadcast about it and talk about it and and live online and all that kind of stuff, we probably tend to analyze things a lot more than the players do. They will look at things simply, you know, we could uh, your team can win, for example, um, and people will say, yeah, we won, but we didn't really play that well. You know, <laughs> the players will be just going, Hey, we won. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's really all that counts. And I think, I think that's a really good point you make there is that the, the Arsenal players might well have harbored some doubts about their own abilities in the, in the final, uh, you know, couple of months of the season had they not won that game yesterday, particularly in those circumstances with Leicester down to 10 men. And I think it, it will give them, or it should certainly provide them with a, a boost in confidence ahead of ahead of what's to come, and obviously what's to come is is quite daunting. But but you know you you got to play them all at some point. Uh, uh, tell me if you heard this before, uh, and tell, correct me if this is the wrong way to look at it. Danny Welbeck is like a new signing. <laughs> we have heard that before. Yeah, look, it, you know it, it's cliched, but the reason it's cliched is because in certain ways it's true. Like Welbeck hasn't played all season; he had forty five minutes with the Arsenal under twenty ones. And Arsene Wenger said he wasn't going to pick him for this game, only uh, the last two training sessions, he, he was looking so sharp, convinced him to put him on the bench. And, you know, ultimately, that's a that's a good decision justified by what Welbeck did uh, himself as a player. But, you know, at the, at, the, uh, at the heart of it, it's true, isn't it? Arsenal are getting a guy who's who gives them another attacking option, something they've missed at times this season. Another attacker or two on the bench in, in certain games would have been very useful. Um, he's also a guy coming into a season in February when everyone else has been playing since August and has that accumulated fatigue um, to deal with. Welbeck has got... He's, all he's got is lost time to make up for. He'll have fresh legs, lots of enthusiasm, lots of hunger to, to make up for the 10 months that he spent out, which is a long time for a footballer. You know, they really, they really feel it as much as fans do for the players themselves. Not to be able to play is extremely, uh, extremely difficult to cope with. Mm. So yeah, it is kind of like a new signing. Um, 
and uh, I'm 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 very happy to have it. You know, I I, I didn't get to, to to really get into the meat of it, but I started reading a, a piece in our blog. As a matter of fact, that sort of talked about. You know, in previous iterations of this team, Andrew, uh, Arsene Wenger would have numerous attacking options on his bench to turn to if he needed a goal. Um, mm. That has not necessarily been the case, uh, certainly over the last couple of seasons, in part because it seems as though those players have picked up a lot of injuries um, over the course of a, of a season. So particularly at this point in the year, when the, 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 when the, the, the games are, are of obviously crucial and everything counts uh, you know every game counts for the same number of points but you get into sort of this crunch time period of the season you want to have somebody like Danny Welbeck off the bench and regardless of his fatigue level um, they haven't had him necessarily in the past or someone like him mm, it's true I mean look Arsenal have gone into lots of games this season with a bench of um, Debussy, Chambers, Gabriel and Gibbs and maybe a couple of young guys young attacking options who aren't really ready or or who it's unrealistic to expect a big impact from. And yesterday, they brought two guys off the bench, uh, England internationals, Theo Walcott and Danny Welbeck. Both of them scored. And that just shows you that, you know, um, that there's an ability there to bring on players who can help change games. You know, when you look at the way that Arsenal finished with, with Ramsey and Mesut Ozil, two attacking midfielders, uh, as their midfield, flanked by Alexis and Walcott with, with Welbeck and Giroud up front, you know, it's six attacking players. Now, I know Leicester had 10 men, but I think it spoke to the ability of Arsene Wenger to try and win a game in circumstances that he knew he had to, he knew he had to take three points yesterday. There was no other way around it. So he did have that ability to throw on players who he hoped would make a difference and who ultimately did make a difference. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it, with the, with the, the circumstances as they were, as you mentioned, maybe the bench had, uh, more, uh, defensive options than attacking options, but clearly, you know, to, in order to go and win a title, you have to play solid defensive football a, a, as well, and, and balance has been an issue for, for Arsenal. Where do things stand in your mind? Again, you know, playing against, as you said, 10 man Leicester changes the dynamic a little bit, makes it a little less, um, uh, about about them breaking down Arsenal or them being able to 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 be as effective as usual on the attacking end, but but as the the rest of the season unfolds, Andrew, it's going to be incumbent upon that Arsenal uh, defense to to play well. Yes, of course. You know, I mean, you, I don't think you can attack well unless you've got a good platform, a good solid uh, defensive platform. You know, um, the, there was perhaps in midfield a bit more control with Coquelin and Ramsey together rather than Ramsey and Flamini. I think that's a partnership that looks like it could work uh, much more effectively than than the uh, than the other two who've, who've done okay individually, uh, but as but as a duo they haven't really clicked, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean the 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 defenders are there. Maybe a couple of worries about injuries uh, at the back because Koscielny went off at halftime yesterday, and Gabriel has got a thigh problem. So you know there's big games coming up against Barcelona where you would want those guys to be uh, fit and ready, hopefully. But yeah, look, defensively Arsenal have been. I've been all right this season. They haven't been a disaster by any means. I think the bigger problem with Arsenal is that they haven't been scoring enough goals. And that's why having someone like Welbeck back and, and having someone like Theo Walcott who can come off the bench and score will be just as important. Mm. Is there anyone, I mean, we're, we're sitting here, it's uh, the middle of February. Uh, we, we know there's still quite a bit of season left. Is there anyone that you expect to come back in this team that's going to be able to make a difference for them? And, and, and is this an issue? I mean, Again, Arsenal criticism of Arsenal and, and certainly some of the uh, soft tissue issues, uh, injuries that, that, that these players have faced. But um, is there anyone that should be rushing back or, or is that the wrong way to look at it? 
yeah, I don't think you want to rush anyone back because, you know, then you, you risk um, exacerbating or, or da- damaging them further if they're not quite ready. I mean, you'd have to look at Santi Cazorla as somebody who would be, uh, who would be an influential player in particular games if he gets back and I think he's due back in about three or four weeks but Arsene Wenger said that about uh, Jack Wilshire too so mm-hmm. you know those are two guys who could have a big impact and I don't even necessarily mean in the starting 11 straight away but again to be able to bring on players from the bench who have the quality to make an impact in games uh, and I think you'd be looking at those two I mean they're the only two who are really out now um attacking uh, or midfield uh, players who are out. So they're the only two who, who could come back. Wilshire, I'd be a little more doubtful about simply because we've had a couple of false stones in terms of his return. He was supposed to be back in uh, December. Then he was supposed to be back in January. And, and here we are. We're going to go into March and he won't be back. So you've got to, you've got to worry just about his injury situation in general because it's, it's a, it's an ongoing thing. Whereas Cazorla's was a, was pretty much a one off. He was uh, always a fairly robust kind of player. So I think Cazorla would be the first one to come back. And, and he's definitely somebody that could add something to this team at the moment as well. Uh, you mentioned, uh, Kishelny's injury. How, how, um, how anxious should Arsenal fans be uh, about Kishelny? And, uh, you know, right now, I guess we don't know much. No, I don't think we know. I think it was sort of, uh, in a collision. He got booked, um, for a fairly hefty tackle on one of the Leicester players. And I think he might have picked up a dead leg or something like that. Hopefully nothing more serious than that. But, you know, uh, until such time as, uh, as we know a bit more, I think it would be wise not to, to get too panicked. But, you know, you, you, you don't want him to be out for any sustained period, that's for sure. Uh, question from, uh, from Robert, listener Robert out in uh, Los Angeles. He, he wants to know how you imagine that, that, that Wenger is going to handle what's coming. Um, Hull City in the fifth round of the FA Cup, uh, then are, then obviously Barcelona in the Champions League three days later, and then Manchester United on the weekend. Mm. Well, I mean, I think he's going to make some changes for the, for the FA Cup game. Sure. No question yeah. about that. He'll he'll rotate the squad as much as he can in a way that will allow him to win the game because, uh, you know, Arsenal have won the Cup uh, two years running. They don't want to give it up. And I, I think at this point of the season, momentum is so important. You know, in every game, even if you are rotating your squad a bit, momentum is really, really important um, because it gives you that confidence and belief to take it into the next game. You're not taking a step backwards to try and take another step forwards in a in a big game. So I think we'll see him rest some players um, ahead of the ahead of the Barcelona game, which is obviously going to be absolutely massive. He'll play his strongest possible eleven against Barcelona, and after that, then I think he'll he'll worry about Manchester United. I don't think he'll be thinking about Man United just yet, but certainly. He'll be looking at this weekend as a way of rotating, giving some fringe players some playing time, making sure that those players, uh, because if they play well, it can have a, a good effect on on the rest of the players. You know, they have to keep their uh, keep their socks pulled up and keep performing to keep their place in the side. So, um, yeah, that that's where he'll he'll be looking. But I don't think he'll be looking as far ahead just yet to Manchester United. Sure. How do you? I mean, obviously that's the the next league match, uh, Andrew, and of course, you know, uh, being in second, uh, two points back of, of Leicester with. With the prize certainly um, in sight, uh, an opportunity. How how do you view that particular match against Manchester United? Because you know, obviously, we know the, the history between the two clubs. Manchester United on a on a downswing at the moment, having difficulty losing to Sunderland on the weekend. But but then we get into a wounded animal. Then we get into certainly raising their game, maybe against an Arsenal team who is going for a title that they would typically see themselves, um, you know, in a fight for. 
look, I think at this point of the season, every single Arsenal game is a must-win game. Yeah. Until such point as you put yourself uh, enough points clear at the, at the top of the table where you can afford to, to drop a couple of points, and, and that's not where Arsenal are. So it's it's very much one game at a time territory. Um, they've, they've got to go to Manchester United with the belief that they can win that game and take those three points and keep the pressure on in the title race. After they play Manchester United, deal with the next game and then, uh, and then do it like that, you know. Um, Arsenal did win there last season. If you remember, Danny Welbeck scored a goal, so um, he's like a new signing. He could come back and do that again. <laughs> Certainly, uh, that, would be, uh, that would be big for Arsenal. All right, so, so uh, again, you know, the... the the three different fronts at, at this point in the season, we've not seen Arsenal maybe this close to the Premier League prize. Um, I, I mean, you know, obviously you're, it's your club, Andrew. You can tell me if I'm wrong about this. When's the last time Arsenal was really dancing with the notion of winning the, the title at this point in the season? And then also having, you know, probably the, the most difficult challenge in the, in the Champions League possible and being still uh, in the FA Cup that they've won twice in a row. Well, I think you look back at the 2012-13 season and Arsenal spent a lot of time at the top of the table that year. Uh, they spent more time at the top of the table than anyone but fell away in, in the last third of the season and ended up uh, finishing fourth, I think. Um, so they've, they've been there or thereabouts. Um, but when you look at this particular season, you know, there's no Manchester United in the title race. There's no Chelsea in the title race. Leicester are top of the table. Manchester City are playing poorly, and they have a manager who who is essentially a lame duck. They've made him a lame duck, and whether that's having an influence in the dressing room, we, we don't quite know. Um, Tottenham, of course, are, are there or thereabouts. They're on level points with Arsenal, but again, this is unfamiliar territory to them. You know, they've never been... Um, as far as I can remember for a long time. Anyway, they've never been in a title race. So there's, there's a, there's a unique pressure that comes with being in that race. Arsenal haven't dealt with it well in, in recent years and it remains to be seen if Tottenham and if Leicester can deal with it. You know, that's why I wouldn't rule Manchester City out because yeah. they've been there. They've gone the distance. Um, but look, it's, it's, it's obviously not in Arsenal's hands, but it's a, it's a good chance. It's a good chance for them. Um, whether the other things, whether the Champions League or the FA Cup could be considered distractions, I don't know. I just yeah. don't think you can afford to look at the games in that way. You've just got to take the games as they come, try and do your best, and uh, and, and power on through. So um, it, it's going to be very interesting. You know, the, these final couple of months of the season, Arsenal have got big players. They've got very good players, and it's how they can... It's how those players, I think, really perform in in these final uh, couple of months of the season. You think of Mesut Ozil, Alexis Sanchez hasn't quite done it yet. He hasn't come back to life really. Um, you know, we've got uh, Aaron Ramsey who could who could step it up a little bit as well. Theo Walker. You know, there are players there who can drive Arsenal to this title, but they're going to have to come together in a, in a very cohesive way, and that hasn't been the case uh, for a lot of this season. Uh, so we, we I. I... I don't want to do this, but but based on what we see uh, with Barcelona at the moment, Andrew, and, and I mean six one Celta Vigo. Okay, Arsenal's a better side than Celta Vigo, probably probably by a wide margin. But the people who are talking about this potentially being one of the greatest teams ever, certainly in a modern context. If Barcelona throttles Arsenal, what kind of impact does that have? I mean, it, it, you know, obviously this is over two legs, but. 
in in the first in, in if they if they really take a hit if it's a significant margin that they lose by to to Messi and Neymar and Suarez and obviously there's sort of no shame in losing to one of the best sides ever assembled. What mm. does that mean for for Arsenal's the confidence we just talked about them earning back or earning a, a little bit more from this win over Leicester? I I don't. I don't know, to be perfectly honest, because I think when you're, when you're a top flight footballer, when you're somebody like Alexis or Mesut Ozil, you want to play games against Barcelona. You want to play against the best teams and you want to, in a way, uh, judge yourself against them. You know, that if you can do it against Barcelona, then doesn't that give you confidence when you're playing West Brom or Norwich? Yeah. That kind of a thing. Um, uh, with no disrespect to those clubs, I'm just, you know, trying to put it in the, in the perspective of a player. It's, it's how well they could compartmentalize those results if those results go badly. And it'll be to do with how they, they go badly. You know, Arsenal lost twice to Chelsea this season. That could have been, that could have been very damaging for confidence. But in both cases, excuse me, <clears throat> in both cases, Arsenal were down to 10 men. They lost men to red cards. So it becomes much easier to say, okay, well, that's why we didn't get the results in those games because, well, basically we were playing for 10 men for, yeah. for both, for both of those games. If, however, you give a hundred percent and you get the runaround from Messi, Neymar and Suarez and you get spanked four or five nil, I think it can be quite damaging for confidence. So circumstances will play a part. Um, but maybe Arsenal can do something to Barcelona that other teams don't do to sure, them in, in sure. La Liga well, as well. You well, know, there's a lot of attacking talent there. They do have goals in the side. Um, and they've got to, they've got to go out and think that they can get a result against a team like this. Whether they can or not remains to be seen. Sure. But football, as this season has proven, um, can surprise you. Yeah. They, they, um, they're not going to play the game on paper. We know that, Andrew. They, they're, yeah. they're going to have to run out there for 90 minutes and see how it comes out. And, 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 and yes, there is absolutely a, a chance that, that Arsenal, and it wouldn't be, it, it, let's, let's be honest. It wouldn't be a massive shock if Arsenal managed to pip Barcelona, you know, to one nil, two one at, at home, um, mm. and, and take that back uh, to, to Spain. Whether or not they could finish it out is maybe a different question, but, but I guess what, and then the, this game is not, you know, this game is not the, the next game. We're, we're still a week away from it. Um, mm. but when you look at what you, what, what they, what they are going to do against Barcelona at home, I mean, do you, do you sit back? I mean, do you, do you, do you try to absorb Barcelona's pressure? Do you attempt to take the game to them or, or do you attempt to apply pressure to the ball and watch them pass it around you? I mean, how, how do you handle Barcelona at this point? Uh, Jason, you know, if either of us knew that, we could write a book yeah, we wouldn't and, be sell it, here, and sell it to opposition or sell it to managers across Europe. Um, I don't think there is any specific way to, to deal with the quality that they have because it's not as if they can, it's not as if they do one thing exceptionally well and you stop that one thing. They do about 50 things brilliantly and it's just it's how you react yeah. i mean obviously you want to you want to try and be defensively secure you want to cut out the ball as much as you can to the players who are going to cause damage um you know suarez is the finisher neymar and messi obviously great uh, goal scorers too but perhaps a little bit more creative than those guys um whether or not arsenal can uh, apply enough pressure at the other end of the pitch where maybe 
that's where Barcelona aren't as good. You know, you'd be hard-pressed to say that their defence is uh, as good as their attack. Sure. And that's not to say that they don't have good defenders and, and, uh, and a good platform themselves. So it's trying to maybe find a balance between having to sit back and, and, uh, and soak up what Barcelona do when they come at you, uh, but also try and, uh, try and cause them problems yourself. Uh, and try and uh, discombobulate them a little bit. You know, they they maybe won't be used to playing a team who could perhaps uh, be be as physical as Arsenal could be. Arsenal could be a, a lot more physical if they're allowed, perhaps by by the referee. Um, Arsenal do have pace as well. Alexis is super quick. Walcott very quick. Oxley Chamberlain quick. You know, so that might be something that yeah. they choose to to try and exploit. Um, but I I I just don't know. Uh, exactly how you're supposed to stop three players of that quality playing as well as they are at the moment. They're absolutely terrifying, I have to say. But, uh, you know, that's that's the joy of European football. These are the teams that you have to play, and um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Let me let me bring it back to the to the league here, Andrew, and, and ask you to 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 put on your your the, the, <laughs> your partisan Arsenal hat, which I'm sure you're wearing a lot of the time. And just just give me just outline for me what it what it feels like and how Arsenal fans feel to see to see Tottenham uh, right there to see them right now ahead of Arsenal. Uh, based on goal difference and, mm. and challenging in their own right for for a title. I mean, this is it's been a long time with Tottenham sort of teetering on the edge of of maybe being a Champions League uh, qualifying type of team versus you know as five six seven and and maybe Pochettino's figured out, out a way to make this team play up to their capabilities. So Arsenal being you know being their biggest rival and being right there, it's got to be unique. In in I'm not going to say a good or a bad way. I'm going to let you fill that part in. Yeah, look, it it hasn't happened before. You know, if there's been an Arsenal-Tottenham battle in recent years, it's been for the top four. And when Arsenal have been battling for the title, it hasn't been against Tottenham. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is unique in that sense. I I, I would like, uh, obviously, for for Tottenham not to be where they are. Sure. Simply from a from a partisan Arsenal fan's point of view, uh, it's always much more entertaining to me when they do badly. Um but they are where they are because they've got a good manager. I think, you know, for the first time in a long time, they've actually got a good manager. And not only that, they've got a good team rather than having some good players and one or two guys who can make a bit of a difference in some of the games. They've actually, they, they seem to be very cohesive as a, as a team. So, um, again, as I spoke about, it's, it's the pressure. How does, how does the realization that you're fighting for the Premier League title affect you? You know, do players freeze? Do they find that pressure too much to take? What happens when they start up in Europe again? You know, they're in uncharted territory, um, and, and that's to take nothing away from where they are now, but, you know, it is a different, it is a different thing when you're in there at the top of the, the title race. And I guess for, from a neutral point of view, it makes it very exciting to have the two North London clubs scrapping it out. There's a North London derby coming up here. Uh, you know, in, in a couple of weeks time, mm-hmm. that's going to be very, very intense. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I'd obviously like them to fall away, but I think, uh, I think they provide a, a genuine threat. I may have to ask you this after the season is over and, uh, you know, obviously it's going to be dictated on who finishes on top of the other and certainly who wins the title, it being this close, uh, for, for both sides. If, if Arsenal wins a, a title and, and Tottenham is right there having, you know, been in the mix all the way down to the final a uh, couple of weeks of the season. And I imagine, you know, a- again, 
uh, an Arsenal triumph means over Tottenham is always wanted and, and desired. But also, again, you know, historically speaking, I think you know, in retrospect, maybe ten years down the line, like, oh, what a what an amazing season that was, going up against our biggest rival for a title. But uh, yeah, we know how this usually goes. Usually, it's uh, please go 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 get in the gutter down there uh, <laughs> where, where we want you to be. All right, um, you know, to to take this to a um, uh, a regional perspective over here. Um, Andrew, we talked about this player before. Joel Campbell, uh, having been out on loan many times. I mean, we've, we've seen this with Arsenal, Arsenal players in the past, uh, particularly CONCACAF based Arsenal players. I remember Carlos Vela. Uh, this, he, he's gotten a chance. He's proven himself to be dangerous in spurts. Um, I imagine he's going to have a role to play down the stretch of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think he's one of the guys, for example, that will play this weekend in the FA Cup against against Hull City. I think you can probably read something into the fact that, despite the fact that he's done very well and probably exceeded expectations this season, you can probably read something into the decision Arsene Wenger has taken in the last couple of games to play Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain yeah. in the position that he was playing um, Joel Campbell. Um, I think he probably has more faith in the long-term potential of Oxlade-Chamberlain than he does Campbell. I think he sees more of a footballer in Oxlade-Chamberlain than Campbell. Uh, he, he, Oxlade-Chamberlain has struggled this season, but he scored last week, and I think the decision then had to be made, right, do I, do I reward him for, for scoring by dropping him for a player that in the very long term I'm not 100% convinced about? And I think that's kind of where Arsene Wenger is with Joel Campbell. I think he likes him. He's a fighter. He works hard. But I think he, he thinks he's probably a bit more limited than, than Campbell or than Oxlade Chamberlain. So I think that's why he's gone with Oxlade Chamberlain in the last couple of games. But we have seen time and time again how injuries, how players can come from nowhere to make a big impact in seasons and uh yeah i think campbell has already played a, a decent part this season i'm sure he's going to play more um between now and, and the end of the season but i do think that just the the balance has tipped again in favor of oxlade chamberlain a month ago six weeks ago you would have said for sure that campbell was was the guy who was ahead of him and that that was uh, evident in the team selections mm-hmm. now it's oxlade chamberlain who's getting ahead of him in a game yesterday that arsenal had to win against the top of the table side he had a choice between campbell and oxlade chamberlain and he chose oxlade chamberlain and i think that's informative yeah, you know i think it's um you know we don't know what's happening in training, obviously, and we can judge by individual match performances and, and try to glean why any manager does anything. But clearly, this is this kind of rotational attitude, certainly the, the swapping of one player for another over large portions of the season. Campbell's a starter for a while. Okay, now you're being replaced by Axley Chamberlain. This is, this is what management is, and this is what's ultimately going to determine how successful any club is down the stretch towards the title, but certainly our, our Arsenal. Um, mm. With we, again, we, we're talking about the um, uh, the the general issues of 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 injury that they faced over the last couple of seasons as they've tried to get back to the top of the mountain, and the issues of of reputation and of of uh, psychological fragility, and and you know, here we go, here we go, Andrew. The best the best you can hope for uh, as an Arsenal fan, I imagine, is is the fight all the way down to the end. Yeah. Look, it it is, uh, I think I said this to you, you know, a few minutes ago, that it's one game at a time territory. You know, Arsenal just have to take these games as they come, um, adjust and adapt their squad depending on the opposition, depending on the injuries, depending on who's fit, who's in form, 
and just, you know, look at every game as a must-win game. That includes the ones against Barcelona. I know it sounds a bit reductive, but you, you've got to approach them like that. And then, of course, when you get into the final few games of the season, the pressure cranks up. All kinds of things can happen. You know, you think of Liverpool a couple of seasons ago who looked set for the title and basically uh, uh, a mistake from one of their most experienced players cost them the league title. And those are the kind of things that can happen when you get to that end of the season, you know? And it's who can stay on top of those and who can who can make fewer mistakes and, and who can just score those decisive goals. So it's going to be fascinating. It really is. It's going to be a great end to the season. And uh, obviously, I'm hoping Arsenal can, uh, can, can manage it better than anyone else. There you go. Andrew Mangan from Arsblog. Hopefully, uh, we'll be able to check in with you um, over the course of the, the, the rest of the season, Andrew, and uh, see if uh, Arsenal can march their way to their first title in, uh, in over a decade. I can't believe it's been that long, Andrew. <laughs> Neither can I. There Neither can go. I. But I'm going to go off now and eat some peanuts in memory of Jimmy Carter. <laughs> He's not dead even, well, but uh, no, I'll, still, no. I'll still eat the peanuts. I did have a cancer scare, so uh, there is that. We'll hope that Jimmy is okay. Eat your peanuts. Andrew Mangan from Horseblog. Very good stuff there. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll answer your phone calls here. Soccer Morning, Backhill.com. Welcome to Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. All right, we're back on Soccer Morning, President's Day edition, Monday, February 15th, 2016. Uh, phone lines are open, 646-832-3909. Again, it's snowing again, which I just can't deal with anymore. I'm ready for winter to be over. Didn't the stupid marmot or whatever see his shadow? What is that thing called? Is it a is it a groundhog? What there's like six different names for groundhog, right? That was like two weeks ago. What the heck, groundhog? Where's spring? I'm ready. I'm ready to to get out there and have some warm weather. That that too. But also the MLS season's coming up very shortly, a couple of weeks away. You have a couple of teams getting ready for their Champions League matchups. Four teams, as a matter of fact. Uh, some interesting moves around MLS right now. Again, I hit on a couple of the big ones this morning in the headlines. Obafemi Martins potentially going to China. That's reported by the BBC as done. Seattle says it's not done. We'll, we'll see. Something in the neighborhood of three or four million bucks for Obafemi Martins to jump to, 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 to Shanghai, Xinhua. Now, what's interesting to me about this potential move is it seems to be below the spending standards that it, that the Chinese have set. Now, I don't know about Shanghai, Xinhua's particular situation. Maybe they don't have as much money to spend as everybody else, or maybe they blew their wad on one or two other players. In fact, I believe, if I read the story correctly this morning, uh, that they don't have any open foreign or foreign player slots. So they're going to have to drop somebody before or sell somebody on before the end of their window, which I think is the 27th of, of, or 28th of, of, um, of February. I think their, their window goes all the way to the end of February over in China. It, it, you, you can see 
uh, a list of the foreign players and the and the and the open slots um on the Wikipedia page for uh for the Chinese Super League season 2016. So and again, whether or not this is completely accurate or not, I'm not positive. But Shanghai Xinhua, it's actually Shanghai Greenland Xinhua, has Freddie Gorin, Giovanni Moreno, Avram Papadopoulos, excuse me, and Demba Ba as their four four foreign players from outside of the region, and then Tim Cahill is their Asian player. So they don't have an open slot, but they are courting apparently Obafemi Martin. So one of these guys is getting sold. Where's he? Where's he getting sold to? How are they going to come close to making their money back? I don't know what they paid for Freddie Gorin or or Demba Ba for that matter. Uh, if you look. I, I don't know that every club, in, and this is the, thing, the odd thing, and, and I know we, we talked, uh, we talked Chinese Super League a couple weeks back and sort of got our, our teeth into the situation here, where this money is coming from, the fact that so much of what's happening in China is being dictated by the fact that the, the Chinese premier loves soccer. The, the guy in charge of the country loves soccer and wants people to put more money in soccer, and these country, uh, these companies who own these clubs are obliging. Uh, but not every, I can't imagine every club has a ton of money to just go spending in the, in the player transfer market. So, uh, you know, who knows, who knows who's a player here and who's not. And apparently these open slots don't actually matter again, maybe until the season, until the uh, window closes and we see if the, if, if some of these teams are, are going to drop some of their players. Uh, just as an example, uh, one of the teams that has been active. Uh, is, uh, hold on one second. I've got a pronunciation guide that, uh, a kind listener sent over to me, uh, Christopher Dodds. So I'm going to, uh, use this to my, to, to my best, uh, my best. Jung, Jiangsu Suning, Jiangsu Suning has Joe. Okay. Ramirez, Alex Teixeira, and Samir. So those are their four. Samir is, uh, Brazilian born Croatian player. I don't know if you've, you've heard of him. That, that's one of the teams spending money. Are they going to go out after spending all that money on Alex Teixeira, prying him away from a potential Liverpool move? Are they going to spend more money? Are they spend more big money on a player? Um, one name that has been recently connected to a Chinese move is Juan Mata of Manchester United. That just popped up today. I saw that out there. And considering the way things have gone, anytime a player is connected, you got to assume that he's going because there is no fear of spending when it comes to um when it when it comes to these teams one of the teams that uh last couple of years has actually been uh spending is is Guangzhou Guangzhou Evergrande uh Guangzhou Evergrande Taobao uh and they've Alan Carvalho, Ricardo Goulart, Paulinho and Jackson Martinez with Kim Youngwon as their Asian player. Uh there's only a couple of teams with open slot like completely open slots. You have uh, Xi Jung Everbright with an open spot. You have, uh, Hubei, Hubei, excuse me, Hubei CFFC, uh, with an open slot. You have Hangzhou Greentown with an open slot. And you have Guangzhou R&F with an open, oh, and I missed one with an open slot. And then, uh, also Changchun Yatai with an open spot as well. All right. So China's going to be in the mix is what we're saying. Unless some of these teams just don't have the same kind of money as their, um, as some of their rivals in this league. I'm looking at, you know, you look at the foreign players on some of these teams and they're not overly 
impressive in some cases. Uh, Leo, ne- Leo Ning FC uh, has Michael Thwaite, an Australian, Asani Luki, Lu- Lukimia, who is, um, is, a, is Congolese, Ibrahima Torre, uh, Ibrahima Torre, and James Chamanga as their foreign players. Okay, so you you know that's not overly impressive. Nelly, you're on the air. What's up? Hey, Jason. So I want to think about the positive of uh, Martin's going to China. Okay. And I was thinking about it last night and talking to a few friends. When uh, Martin's came into MLS, I think he was 27 or 28. His career was not doing that well. You know, he had good years with Newcastle. Uh, and then he came to MLS and just, he played really well. I mean, he played well with Dempsey. So I like this. China is obviously looking at our league. China is obviously buying good players. Uh, so I like to think that China here is willing to take one of our best players in MLS and pay him big bucks to play in their league. So I, what I'm thinking here is MLS is now becoming more of a Hey, come play over here. We'll revive your career, and somebody's going to come and pay for you. We've seen examples of Keane come over here and revive his career. Um, Jovinko, and I'm thinking Dos Santos maybe came over here with the same mentality. I'm struggling in Europe. Maybe I'll go to MLS, you know, score a lot of goals, get called up, and maybe a new European team will look at me. Sure. I mean, so, look, I don't think that you know. the, 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 there's, and you're pointing out something that's interesting to me, uh, Nelly, and that's MLS becoming, instead of a league of last resort or a league of last big paycheck, which it certainly is for some players, Steven Gerrard's not looking for another move. Um, beyond that, though, if you want to continue to be that league of last resort, fine. You want to keep playing, uh, paying older players one more big paycheck, fine. Uh, if they have name recognition, I sort of get it marketing-wise. But the transition happens and the league moves forward when MLS stops becoming a league of last resort for some players and now becomes a league of jump-off potential. Uh, a league of, uh, again, like you're saying, some players taking it as an opportunity to either re- rehabilitate their career or get some, you know, find a, a comfortable place to play and, re- and regain their form and then move back and move on and move bigger uh, than, than they have before. Now, is China a bigger move? than MLS for Obafemi Martins. In terms of, of prestige and perception, I would call it a wash. In terms of money, absolutely it's a bigger move for him. And let's be honest about this, and it's not cynicism, it is practical appreciation of the shortness of a player's career. Players should get their money. If you can get your money, get your money. I mean, you know, Obafemi Martins has a bad reputation because he seems to be a, um, a, a gun for hire. But, you know, come on, what is he supposed to do? Right. And I think a lot of MLSs may take that uh, as a pitch to players in Europe. Um, bringing younger guys who are not starting in the starting lineup, who are not getting that opportunity, maybe talking to them and saying, hey, come play with us on loan two or three years. European teams are looking at us. Uh, European nations, I think even Pirlo said it once in an interview, that in Italy, when you think of North America or CONCACAF, you think of MLS. Mm-hmm. So 
I see this as, hey, our other leagues around the world are looking at MLS. Um, players are going to see this like, hey, if I go to MLS and, and play well, uh, I may have a shot to come back in Europe. I mean, we're getting younger guys now from Europe. We're getting um, national players that are kind of on the on the verge of getting into the national team. So I, that's that's the positive side of looking at it. You know, Martins was a heck of a player here in the league, but now his improvement that he's done here is in a way going to pay off for him financially. Yeah, sure. And, and, and it'll be sad to see Obafemi Martins go from a, an MLS observer's perspective, if only because the guy has been so much fun to watch with Clint Dempsey. Um, and, and been, you know, nearly an MVP in this league. I, 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 you know, but beyond that, come on, you move on. And, and here's, you know, for me, the more interesting thing now is if Obafemi Martins does move on, is what happens with Seattle. Do they turn to Nelson Valdez and ask him to, to handle the forward load alongside Dempsey and shift their midfield? Or do they give Jordan Morris the keys to the car from the very beginning? And I don't know that that's going to happen. I think this pretty much leaves it up to Jordan Morris being in the starting lineup. Right. Uh, there are other ways. There are other ways to handle it for Siggy Schmidt. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Again, it's going to be interesting to see. And, he, and here's the reality of it. I mean, again, from a Sounders fan perspective, you may not like this deal, but it's going to be hard for any MLS team to say no to that much money. What right. uh, what, yeah. what is interesting here and what's being discussed, I think, up in Sounders land is how does the money come to bear on the club? <laughs> In other words, how can they spend it? Now, my understanding is that you, you're not going to get any money to use against the cap from the transfer. That there's, there's not. All right. So it actually is laid out here uh, by Jeremiah O'Shannon Sounder at Heart. If you're looking for an, uh, an explanation. Uh, what makes Martin's tra- decision to move to the Chinese Super League even tougher is that the Sounders almost certainly will not receive any sort of allocation money windfall. Why? Uh, because um, the Sounders would have needed to recoup the fee they paid to secure Martin's services. That Martin's technically paid on his, his own buyout. Okay, so basically, Martin's bought out his contract at Levante. The, the Sounders paid him back for that buyout. So it's not a, it's not a transfer fee, but it is sunken cost they are putting money into they, they, they invested in open family martins to get him to be able to sign a new contract with the seattle sounders so that and and in addition to that they obviously paid him a significant salary the sounders effectively paid a three million euro transfer fee uh which was about four million bucks at the time and an additional six and a half million dollars in salary uh about 5.2 of million 5.2 million of which would have been over the cap in order to get allocation money, the Sounders would have needed to secure a transfer fee of somewhere in the neighborhood of $9 million. So in other words, the Sounders would have, would have had to recoup everything they spent on Martins in order to get money to use against the cap in MLS. So that's a consideration here uh, and, and a troubling thing from the Sounders' perspective. But the, the team will be able to use, I think it's two-thirds of the fee, on their infrastructure, on their academy, on on soccer costs that are not related to salary budget. So, you know, is that worth it? I don't know. Make the call yourself. Right. And uh, last year, Seattle was looking at Ivica Olic, the 36-year-old Croatian. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that guy's kind of old, but maybe a replacement. There's got to there's got to be somebody know. out there. Um, there's got to be somebody out there right now, Nelly, that that they could pick up that that's going to give the. You know, I, I I don't know. I mean, it's tough because there's no lead time now. Um, they need to figure out how to bring it, and may, this may be a summer signing. You know, they may have to line something up that's only going to take place in the summer and have to try to figure out a way to make do until then. But you would want somebody who was in more than the, the Martin's mole, right? You would want somebody who's coming into the league at 27 or 28, um, at the high, you know, at the, in their prime, ready and willing to, to contribute to the Sounders and obviously make a bunch of money. Um, that, that, that's, uh, the enticement is the money in addition to, you know, it's a nice place to live or something. They may just wait until the summer transfer window and give Morris a, a chance to start and see how he does with Dempsey. Well, yeah. That's what I see happening. Maybe go in the summer and uh, target a few players that they think they may get in the summer transfer window when the European leagues end. Yeah. Well, I mean, they also have the Champions League. You know, they've got that coming up in, in a matter. It's a, it's a week away. I mean, it's essentially a week away. Uh, so, uh, you know, losing Martins with a week to go before the CONCACAF Champions League uh quarterfinals begin is is really not ideal at all all right well thanks jason appreciate the call nelly 646-832-3909 is the phone number here on a monday again i know you're all chilling for for president's day probably lots of you off don't have to work maybe the kids are home from school and you have to entertain them i understand how that goes uh i do uh but give me a call if you got anything on your mind i know jeff uh jeff is listening a day off from work means I can honor President's Day by listening to Soccer Morning live for a change. Yeah, you can also call me up, Jeff. Okay. All right. Whatever. 646-832-3909. So we've touched on Obafemi Martins potentially moving on to China. Let's talk about there's two other big moves in MLS that are, are definitely on the radar. One is Antonio Nocherino joining Orlando City. This, to me, is more interesting. Not only does it obviously help Orlando City bolster their roster, he's a very good player, he's probably going to walk into the starting lineup, um, but it's it's also about that breaking of the rule by Orlando City, which ultimately saw them end up with the reward. Maybe this sends a message to the rest of the league, if you're willing to step out and break the rules, you you will recoup, uh, you, you will get rewarded for it, but we re- it remains to be seen what kind of allocation... Uh, money that they are giving up for Nocerino and whether or not the league is going to ding them further. I, I would be curious to know because I can't imagine MLS is going to sit idly by and watch Orlando City break the rules that are meant to prevent a bidding war um, and get the player because of a bidding war. Essentially what the story is that is that DC United had Nocerino on their discovery claim list. They made an offer. Nocerino was set to sign Orlando City came in and said, "Hey, no, we'll give you a couple thousand, a couple hundred thousand dollars more." Uh, may, maybe not knowing what what United offered, maybe, may, maybe not even, I, I don't know. But what, for whatever reason, Orlando City decided they had no interest in playing the discovery claim rule game and went in and made an offer and and sp- ultimately spoiled the negotiations between DC United and Notorino. Uh The story is again, this is all reporting. Um, you know, secondhand. I, I'm not. I'm not there. I don't know exactly. But the reporting goes that Nocerino really was very close to signing with DC United, or close to accepting that offer before Orlando spoiled everything. So we'll we'll see if there's a punishment. The other move that is definitely worth talking about here this morning is Harrison Ship being uh, moved from the Chicago Fire to to the Montreal Impact. Um, Harry Ship, homegrown talent, 
uh, for the Fire. Played in the Chicago Fire organization uh, for a long time. Um, before moving on and playing at Notre Dame, he went to he, he played I believe all four years at Notre Dame before signing with with the Fire. It put him behind the curve. Now, maybe he needed the maturation. Okay, Maybe he needed that period. Maybe he needed four years of college soccer to get ready. Certainly, um, Bobby Clark has a, a stellar reputation uh, as a, a college soccer coach who gets kids ready to play pro soccer. I mean, the, the Beaslers are, are just another example of players who went to Notre Dame, came out ready to play professional soccer. Uh, and, and people will tell, I think people in Chicago have said that Harry Ship needed those years that he wasn't ready at 18 he wasn't even ready um before he came out of Notre Dame to be playing at a high level uh but he he did impress once he arrived with the fire he only played two seasons there but he did relatively well he showed some creative ability he showed a spark that we hadn't seen from a young american player um in a, in a while at the time it's 2014 obviously um there there are new there are new american young young american players coming through but Harry Ship looked like someone that could be the, a centerpiece of the Chicago Fire moving forward. Not just because of his ability, but also because he's a hometown kid. Don't you want hometown kids? Don't you want to send the message that hometown, hometown kids have an opportunity to play with the hometown team? They've shipped him on. Uh, they've, they traded him to the impact for allocation money, of course. And what this means for the Fire and, and Harry Ship is going to be very fascinating in 2016. Now, if you want a sense of how Harry Ship feels about all of this, he did post um, a letter to Chicago and Chicago fans um, on Twitter uh, yesterday. Or maybe this was uh, Saturday. This is the hardest thing I've ever had to put in words. Last few hours have been extremely hard. When I was told out of the blue that I would no longer be a member of the fire, I immediately broke down and started crying. It was totally shocking and overwhelming. This club and this city have meant everything to me, not just for the past two years, but since I started following the fire over 15 years ago. And let me stop here and reiterate how important, cool, amazing it is to have a league now that is old enough that there are kids who don't remember a time when this, when their team, their local team did not exist. That doesn't mean they all attach themselves to their clubs the way that Harry Ship did to the Chicago Fire. Some kids in Chicago are probably Arsenal fans and don't give a crap about the Fire. That's fine. But there will be kids like him. And that's important to the growth of MLS. And, and again, I wonder if there's damage done when you, when you trade a kid, a hometown player who loves the club as much as Harry Ship. Uh, it's a business. Things happen. But man, I know this is a business, speaking of, and nothing is personal, but this is inherently personal for me. I went to games at Soldier Field at the temporary stadium out in Naperville and throughout the Blanco area at Toyota Park. I even went to practices at Lake Forest College whenever I could convince my mom to take me. Hold on, that's the. Uh, let me just get these pages in order here. My passion in the past two years was to help make soccer relevant again in Chicago. This is what got me out of bed every single morning. I wanted to look back 10 years from now and be proud of how I was able to contribute to the growth of this club and its interaction with the city of Chicago. I wanted to continue to be a role model for kids growing up playing in Chicago. There was no single part of this job I liked more than being able to relate to these kids and give them a realistic end goal to dream for. Unfortunately, all I was able to contribute was two of the statistically worst seasons in fire history, and that genuinely breaks my heart more than you could imagine. I'm sorry that I was unable to do more for the city because if anyone understands what this city deserves in a soccer club, it is me. 
This is heart-wrenching stuff. I mean, this is, if you're a Fire fan, if you weren't angry about Harry Ship being, being traded before you read this, I imagine this gets you a little bit more worked up because again, not just another player. It's another, it's a, it's a player from Chicago who dreamed about playing for the fire and now after two seasons has been flipped. Uh, he talked, he's, uh, talking about the, the rest of this talks a little bit more about the players, uh, and his lot in the locker room and the guys he's going to miss. Uh, with this door closing, I'm grateful to the Montreal impact in the city of Montreal for giving me this next opportunity in my career. Fortunately, I have a new outlet to direct my energy focus and I plan energy and focus and I plan on making the most of it. Can't wait to make, meet my new teammates, blah blah blah. Gives out a gives a shout out Go Cubs World Series 2016. <laughs> the Bears need Von Miller and Alshon. Not Von Miller, you can't have Von Miller. That's my team. Anyway, all right. He's basically throwing out his Chicago love at the end. Uh, Harry Ship, now a member of the Montreal Impact. We'll see how that goes. I, I wish the best to Harry Ship. I like him as a player. Uh, there was some discussion as to whether or not he was overrated, uh, in the aftermath of this trade or is overrated by fans of MLS. I think Harry Ship is potential and that he has yet to express all of it. Uh, that doesn't mean he's going to find it. It doesn't mean he's not overrated on some level, but I think it's very difficult to judge Harry Ship based on the last two seasons of Chicago Fire Soccer, which were abysmal. Absolutely abysmal. In so many different ways. All right. Let's wrap this up. It is President's Day. You're all chilling. I get it. We will uh, step aside. We'll come back tomorrow with another episode of Soccer Morning. Thanks again to our good friend Andrew Mangan of Arsblog. If you are an Arsenal fan or just want to read uh, things about Arsenal, Arsblog is a must. I mean, come on. So good. And with them now chasing a Premier League title, you might as well put it in your bookmarks or whatever people do these days. Do you dig it? Still? No? Soccer Morning, backyield.com. We'll talk to you on Tuesday. Bye.